It's good to be here with you today. The topic before you, the message, which I call resurrection joy or the joy of the resurrection, is a, let's put it this way. If you're used to eating one part of the cake, but you like another part, but you can never get there because people want you to keep doing the other one. The times you get to do the part you want can be the most exciting part of all. Now, let me explain that. I spend most of my professional life working on the resurrection. I won't tell you details and involving everything, but, um, but, but currently I'm doing a kind of a, it's not a summary, but it's a treatment of the resurrection over my whole life, and it's a, a magnum opus on the resurrection. And currently, on just this topic, I'm at 4,700 pages. <clears throat> Nothing there except to say this. This is a huge topic. And people often say to me, you spend all your time doing evidence, 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 evidence. Well, that's because we are attacked, 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 attacked. That if you knew how many attacks there were out there, somebody's got to be on the wall. But, back to my cake illustration, I'd rather not be on the wall. I'd rather do other things. I'd rather talk about what the resurrection means, what the benefit is in our lives. So I've done some small things on that topic, but I'm back up on the wall and back up on the wall. Dr. Stewart called me a few weeks ago, and he said, why don't you do the application one? And I thought, this is, this is so special to be able to do what it means and what difference it should make in our lives. That's a little bit of background. The resurrection is a, a many-faceted diamond, and when you turn it, you can see a different angle. Best evidence in the world. Center of salvation, center of soteriology. Whenever the gospel data are defined in the New Testament, it always includes, at a minimum, other things are mentioned, but at a minimum, it always includes deity, death, resurrection. And you all know many verses, including the ones we're looking at, if there's no death and resurrection, we're not here today. There's no church. Let me make one more comment and then head into the icing on the cake. When people call me and have doubts, they get all churned up. What about this? What about creation? What about the so-called genocide verses in the Old Testament, the things that really worry people? What about this and that? I tell people, let me just tell you a fast track to faith. If Jesus is the Son of God, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead, and you've said yes to him, guess what? The first three, DD, death, resurrection, say Christianity is true. Yeah, but what about what? You're not listening. Christianity is true. But, but you know, I get these worries and calm down. Christianity is true. 
And if you said yes to Jesus, often use the words I do, because those are the best words in the English language that mean to commit. And the Greek word for believe in Scripture is to commit. Both John and Peter used the phrase walk in his steps. It's not works. It's just Jesus said, if you believe me, you'll do what I say. I mean, part of, when you say I do, you said words. I do. But you didn't know it involved the whole life of following, right? So that's kind of what it is with Christianity. So it's true. And did you do it? Yeah. Okay, now let's talk about the icing. Yeah, but what about the... Deity, death, resurrection. It's true. And if you're there when you say, I do, you can participate in the icing. I don't know why I'm even saying this. I hate icing and cake. But today we get to talk about the rejoicing part. Let's just say it's true. Don't ask me any more truth questions. And I can't tell you if, you if you're married to Jesus, if you said I do. That's between you and him. But assuming you're there, here's what awaits us. 1 Corinthians 15 is the most evidential passage, maybe, in all of Scripture. It may be the most commented passage in the technical literature in the entire New Testament. And when people do 1 Corinthians 15, they often look at verses 3 through 8, which is the evidence. But as soon as Paul finishes the evidence, he goes to verses 12 through 20. And here's what he says. If Christ has not been raised, he, twice, he says twice in that te text, verses 12 to 20, Different Greek words, and the second Greek word is stronger than the first Greek word. But Paul says twice, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is vain. And the Greek words mean empty, fruitless, useless. So, you know, if it's true and we don't believe, that's our fault. But if you believe it, it's not true. But if it's true and we believe. The rest of the Christian life can be a path to the Emerald City. It can be living in light. It should be living in the light of the cross and the kingdom. So in these verses, 12 through 20, Paul says several things, a list of things. He says, basically, here's what a resurrectionless Christianity is like. You go, what? Yeah, this is what a resurrectionless Christianity looks like. We would be liars, he says, the disciples and I. He just got them talking about he and the apostles. We would be liars. Our witnessing would be in vain. Your faith is in vain. Wow, it's getting pretty deep. You are still in your sins. Oh, no. And because of something I'll talk about a little bit later. Verse 18 is very meaningful. He says, your loved ones in Christ have died in vain. Pretty rough. Here's the short sentence. <clears throat> Without the resurrection of Jesus, there's no such thing as Christianity. It's a contentless, truthless Christianity if Christ had not been raised. Given that it's raised and given that we've said, I do. 
he says in verse 19, I think verse 19, it's up on the screen there. I think verse 19 is maybe the most depressing text in all of Scripture. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable or most pitiable. Is that flipping the tables or what? Without the resurrection, we are the most miserable. That's, they go, oh, okay, Paul. <laughs> Verses 12 through 19, that's pretty sad. Can we change this? <laughs> Paul says, verse 20, but, and most commentators think a new sentence starts here, but Christ has been raised from the dead. Forget everything I've said. Your witnessing is not in vain. You're not liars. You're not still in your sins. Your loved ones in Christ have meaning. Notice that verse 18, your loved ones in Christ, even their present lives, what they're doing now, even their present lives, loved ones in Christ who have died, even their present existence depends on the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to see how precious that is uh, in just a few minutes. So, with Paul, we've gone through, in the first 20 verses, we've gone through, it's true. It would be a zero if there were no resurrection. But there is a resurrection. Now, I'm going to go to the end of the chapter. This is the longest resurrection chapter in the New Testament. It just barely beats Luke 24. But there's 58 verses here, and it's the earliest extended passage in the New Testament. There are earlier one-liners, but it's the earliest extended passage. And Paul says in verse 58, if I could flip all the way to the end, he says three things. He says, be steadfast. Number two, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. All right, keep those two things in mind because I'm going to give you a third one in a, in a moment that we have to back up for just a little bit. But those first two, he said, if Christ has been raised from the dead, we should stand fast. You know, this day and age where faith is assaulted like never before, to be frank, I don't, there are times when I don't recognize the country we've been living in in the last few years. Just crazy things have been happening in this country. But in Christ, the faith stays firm. And if there was one message, I would tell doubters, because I hear from them too often. By the way, one of my full-time PhD students uh, took a course years ago that I taught on doubt, and I said, he's an executive pastor in North Carolina, finishing his PhD. And he said, can I take your doubt student, your doubt cases? I said, oh, be fantastic. I send them down to him. He's got a second full-time job now. He's had hundreds of discussions with doubters. It's a plague today because of what's going on in our society, what's going on in the world. And Paul says, 
This is not a time to be shaken. This is a time to stand fast. And I can't think of a better way to stand fast than that. This is phase one of the kingdom of Christ. Christ said when Jesus said when he comes, when he came, he was preaching the kingdom. It was present with his preaching. But there's a future phase coming. Uh, this is in many, many, many analogies, pilgrim progress and so on. We're on a path to the kingdom. But we can be living in light of the Emerald City right now. And one day the city's actually there. How do you know? How do you know it's not pie in the sky and the sweet by and by? Yeah, that's not this lecture. But that's true because the resurrection happened. But what are you going to do about it? This is the time to stand fast. That even if you can't answer all the questions, major on the deity, death, resurrection of Jesus, and where's your walk? Stand firm. Second, he says, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know, every once in a while, somebody will tell you, well, not so once in a while, a lot of times, people will say, there's a conflict between Paul and James. James says, James 2, you show your faith by your works. Paul says, it's not by works lest any man should boast in Ephesians chapter 2. You know what you often miss is that Ephesians 2 says, not by works and even the grace and even the ability to respond comes from the Lord. But then Paul says right away, immediately afterwards, he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Paul says we're not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works. And then Paul stops there in verse 58 and says, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If it's true, and we're on board. All right, you're already on board. Now what are you doing about it? Hey, by the way, do you know how you know Paul was a Baptist? You, you know, the chapter dividings were, aren't there in the originals. The next verse after 1558 is 16.1. And Paul's argument goes like this. Christianity's true. It would be a failure if it, if it weren't. But it is. So we can bank on it. And we're going to be raised one day too. Now, hang in there. Be steadfast. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 16.1. Get your wallets out. <laughs> Next verse, he says, hey, we've got some poor Christians up in Jerusalem. We're taking an offering for them. But, you know, that's one way. Giving is a privilege. It really is. Serving is a privilege. Not for, not for salvation, but you're saved unto. Paul says your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Some theologians have differences about this, so I will concede. This is, this is my take on a certain doctrine. But I think that what we do in the Lord after salvation... Because before, what good works isn't going to get you there. But after salvation, what you do in the Lord determines the capacity to which you will enjoy heaven. There's nothing wrong with thinking about enjoying heaven. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
What you do for the Lord determines the capacity to which you will enjoy heaven. We'll see that in just a few moments. So doing the Lord's work has consequences. And then lastly, let me back up just a little bit from 58, because back through the 50s there, 1 Corinthians 15 and the 50s, he does a third benefit of the resurrection. Number one, be steadfast. Hang in there. If this is all you know, it's enough. You don't have to answer everything. Be sure of this. You know what's cool? Even if you don't know it, it's still true. And if you've trusted, you're there, even if you can't explain the theology. But I'm just saying, narrow down what you have to explain. Narrow down what you have to know. It's there. But when he backed up a few verses earlier, he quotes the Old Testament, and he asks, where is death's sting? You know what? I'll use some words today that are not always real popular, but Paul is trash-talking death. He's trash-talking the devil. Read the commentaries. Read the commentaries. He's not doing this. I used to be an ice hockey coach for nine years at Liberty. Hockey and football, they're Christian sports. Well, hey, look, some of, Paul's, some of Paul's illustrations are track and field and boxing. All right? That's, you know, that's, that's hockey. <laughs> you know what? Pastors for a long time used to introduce me when I, was past, when I was coaching. They would say, hey, besides being a professor, blah, 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 this guy coaches, he's full-time, he's the uh, founding coach of the ice hockey team. He goes... I don't think hockey is a Christian sport, but I'll let him explain that. Come on up and talk to us. And I thought, i got to start saying something after that kind of introduction. So I said, I said, Pastor, I've been thinking about it for a long time. And here's how hockey and, and Christianity are both Christian. Because hockey players solve their problems the same way Christians do. They drop the gloves. We do it too. Those are... Those are a strange look at sports, and Paul uses those kind of illustrations. But Paul is not playing the role of the poet here. Poetry's fine. I'm just saying Paul's not doing this. Oh, death, where's your sting? Okay, it makes for good poetry, but that's not what he's doing. Read the commentaries. He's trash-talking death. He's going, death, you got something for me? You've got nothing. You, what? Oh, I know. You can hurt me. Haven't you seen my lists of everything that's happened to me? I've had a lot happen to me. You could hurt me, but you're going down. You're going, what a day today with the playoffs. Paul is literally saying, look at the score. You lost because Jesus rose from the dead. What's your biggest weapon? Death. And what happened? It went down. You lost. Where's your sting? Where's the victory? It's not on your side. You've heard the phrase winning battles but losing wars. Satan's lost the war because Jesus has been raised from the dead. So now you've got this. Be steadfast. Number two, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
Number three, we're on the way to the Emerald City and nobody, including Satan, can take us from it. We're not trying to be cocky. We're just saying, don't go back and worry about that all the time. Let's march forward. Let's be firm. Let's do our works. Let's concentrate on heaven. And that's the part of this message that I love getting to. Because several times Paul talks about how good heaven is and how he'd prefer to be there, even though he's got a lot of work to do here. Let me tell you real briefly. Um, a couple things in my life have, have shown this like, like nothing else. A few years ago, my niece, who lives in Virginia, uh, two of my nieces, different families, one in Virginia, one in Arkansas, both lost children. And I was the only official at the grave. They didn't want to relive their pain, she and her husband. So the three of us were at the graveside when we buried the baby. That's pain. And, you know, you could see these young, it was their first child. Now they've got two more now, but you could see the pain. Before that, in 1995, the mother of my four children <clears throat> was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And if you know stomach cancer, it is, you know, usually a death sentence. And she lived four months. And things happen so fast, uh, without going into detail. But I started meditating and spending more time on Paul's verses that, you know, death wears your string, but also the positive side. And here's some of the things that Paul says. The verses like 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Christians can grieve. That's okay. You all know the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept for his friend Lazarus. Christians can grieve, but we grieve not as those without hope. Did you ever stop to think about the difference between grieving with hope and grieving without hope? Have you been to funerals? Or maybe you're a pastor. Maybe you've officiated in funerals where people were without hope. It's memorable. It's very tough to take those but you've probably been to Christian funerals, especially if the person lived a great life and have a great ministry, where there's a lot of rejoicing going on. One of those reasons is, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we do not grieve as those without hope. We have hope. There's a difference. But my favorite text, Paul says it twice, by the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and again, if Philippians chapter 1, 21 through 23, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know something? As I used to be a pastor before I started teaching, I've heard a lot of sermons on to live is Christ. I mean, you know, that's kind of fair, but you cut that verse off right in the middle. To me, to live is Christ. I have heard very few, if any, sermons totally on 
to die is gain. We don't talk so much about that. To live is Christ. To die is gain. But that's not enough. Paul goes on two verses later in verse 23. And he says, I prefer to die and be with Christ, which is better. And the Greek, by the way, the Greek can be translated this way in verse 23. Sometimes it is. I prefer to die and be with Christ because it is better, comma, far better. It's an emphatic positive, like you would repeat yourself. It's not just better. He's not just making a comment, well, I got to say this. This is good theology. Yep, it's better. No, he's saying it is better to die and be with Christ. Far better. And many people think that that experience that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians 12, I know a man who was caught up to the third heaven. Even old commentaries, before all the research on near-death experiences today, a lot of the old commentaries say that that experience in 2 Corinthians 12 corresponds pretty closely to when Paul was stoned and left for dead outside of Lystra. So he could, I mean, he's talking about himself. He said, I know a man, but then he tells you it's him, himself. So he went to heaven and had a glimpse. And he said, words can't even express what it is, and it's far better than being here. You know, there's two Greek terms for eternal life. One is the one we translate eternal life. And in an English Eternal is something that goes on and on and on. In Greek, eternal, the term emphasizes quality more than quantity. So in Greek, eternal means sharing the quality. Here's definition A for eternal. The quality of life. We share God's life. Oh, yeah and it goes on forever. But that's sort of a secondary idea. The first quality point of eternal is sharing quality of life. The one that reverses that, there's a second word, immortality. And the word literally means deathlessness. You will never die. And that one, the quantity is up front, and the quality is, oh yeah, it'll be very nice too. Let me say that again. And reverses the two words. Eternal means the best life ever. Oh yeah, it goes on forever. Immortal means it goes on forever. Oh yeah, it's really good too. So they both emphasize reverse aspects. But the word immortal is only used a few times in the New Testament. And about half the usages are right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Right there at the end. Paul says we're entering a period of deathlessness. That's why it's far better to be with Christ. Folks, let me, let me uh, just mention a little book here. If you want to think about a pastoral treatment of this subject, uh, it's a book by a Texas pastor named John Burke. And the book is called Imagine Heaven. And he takes all kinds of different aspects, and he writes a pastoral book on grief and on just reconditioning your mind to meditate differently. 
and this book has taken off. It's only been out for a little while. Well, it's been out for a few years now. But I was told just recently it has sold a half million copies because it is a pastoral treatment. It's the icing of this topic. We're not arguing about whether it's true, settled. We're not arguing about whether you're in the kingdom. That's between you and the Lord. But if that little bit is solved, little bit compared to all the questions you could be asking from Scripture, I sometimes say it kind of in a secular way. You know, you're on the yellow brick road heading for the Emerald City. You're on the path right now. You're on the path, but there is a city. And I think, I mean, that's Revelation 21 and 22. You know, one-third of all the descriptive verses in Revelation 21 and 22 have to do with colors. And, you know, I look around behind me, and when the lights were on and the tree was out, I was so happy when I walked into the church today because for some reason almost all the lights are down in Virginia. And I noticed when I drove in from the airport, well, I didn't drive in, but when I was driven in from the airport, the lights are still on in New Orleans. A lot of homes. Lights do something to the human psyche. And one-third of all the descriptive verses in Revelation 22 and 21 and 22 are about colors. Sight and sound. And Paul says it hasn't even entered into our mind, the things that are there. But having been there, I think he probably was. It probably was when he was stoned at Lystra. But regardless, he's telling you, it's not just better, it's far better. About a year before my wife passed away, her father passed away. And I, t I told my kids when their grandfather passed away, and then a year later, I told them when their mom passed away. And, and I, I believe this only more strongly than when it happened. But I said to my kids, weep for yourselves, but don't weep for your mom. First time it was grandfather, that it was mom. Don't weep for your grandpa. Don't weep for your mom because they wouldn't come back even if they have even if they had the chance. Now, I, this is just an illustration. I don't know what you think about this, but I've done a lot of work on near-death experiences. I'm not going to start talking about those. But I was at a, a, a um, medical doctor's conference, Christian Medical Association. I was a speaker many years ago, and they asked me to speak on this. And there was a medical doctor's wife, and she was right about there in the crowd. And I was doing this part of the message, and all of a sudden, she broke the place up. I didn't know her. I didn't know she was going to do this. And she said, I've been to heaven. These are medical doctors. Now, there's a, a, a female medical doctor down here with a double specialization. She was a... a um, specialist at the University of Illinois School of Medicine. And she kind of yelled across the room and she said, she said, just don't sit there, tell us about it. And the woman said, well, I was delivering my third child and I was in heaven. I left my body and I was in heaven. She sat next to her husband. He was a ear and nose surgeon from Stanford University. 
And I said, well, just let me ask you a question. I said, I believe the strongest biological tie in the universe is between a mother and her child. And she said, I buy that. I said, have you seen your third child when you had this experience? She said, no, I hadn't seen my third child. I said, did you want to come back and see your baby? And she hung her head like she was embarrassed. And she said, no, I didn't want to return. I said, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but you'd rather stay than come back. And she said, yes. And I said, what about your three children? And she playfully elbowed her husband. And she said, he can take care of the kids. <laughs> but that was the point. That's Paul's point. I don't know what you think about NDEs, and it's not important. I'm just saying that's the point. Paul basically says, guys, I've been there. 2 Corinthians 12, read his experience. I've been there. I want to go back. Now, in the meantime, he says in 1 Corinthians, I mean in Philippians 1, he goes, I've got a job here to do. Remember, your labor in the Lord is not in vain is the second point. He's not got a job to do. As long as the Lord leaves me here, I'm happy to minister. I'm happy to witness bring, putting other people on the road and moving to the Emerald City is an unparalleled task. I'm happy about it. But let me tell you something. I'd rather be at the end. I'd rather be at the end. From an apostle who saw the risen Jesus who had been there already and returned. Again, that's the 2 Corinthians. It's not my PowerPoint, but that's 2 Corinthians 12 passage. Already been there. And he says, I has, eyes not seen, ears not. We're not prepared for this yet. We can look forward to it. Folks, it's the greatest message in the world. It's true. We're invited to enter that true path. And having done those two things, which we just celebrated this, mo this morning, with maybe the most sacred next step in Christianity, the presence of the Lord around the communion table, we just celebrated it. So it's true. We said yes. We're stepping into it. And Paul says, remember, be steadfast. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Keep working keep working until the time that you're invited to come up. And then let me just tell you guys, he says, it'll be the, don't look at it as the most fearful thing. Yeah, it's an enemy, he says. It's an enemy, but it's lost its sting. And if you're like this mother, and frankly, many others I've talked to have said the same thing, it's the best journey of our life is still ahead. That's true. And I think we wouldn't want to come back. You go, well, that's because maybe you have a better view of near-death experiences than I do. No, it's not that. Paul said it. 2 Corinthians 5, Philippians 1, 23. I prefer to die and be with Christ, which is better, far better.
Folks, this is the end of the road, and it's the best news. And it's not the end, it's the beginning. This starts eternity. Think about those two Greek words again. Best quality ever, share God's life. Oh yeah, it lasts forever. And this life goes on forever. Oh yeah, it's really good. And then you got somebody like Paul who was there. And he says the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the truths of your word. I thank you for the hope. For the apostle who saw over the edge and returned to tell us about these beautiful things. Help us, Lord, to be committed like never before, knowing it's true, and having said yes, help us to be steadfast. Help us to be committed to our work until you call us home to be with you forever. Lord, bless these words. Bless the day. Bless the service in your name. Amen.